Hello, Darklings, and welcome to the Nocturnal Mysteries Podcast, a show about the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, and things that go bump in the night. I'm your host, Jenny. Please come and join me. Sit down and place your fingers on the planchette, and let's jump right into this Nocturnal Mystery. Listener, what do you know about the Japanese and their relationship with death? Traditional Japanese attitudes toward death include a strong belief in the afterlife. Throughout the history of Japanese culture, people have traditionally believed that when a person dies, their soul lives on in the land of the dead. The land of the dead in Japanese culture is another realm not far from our own. Some early Japanese cultural beliefs also state that the souls of the dead don't rest in one place. Instead, they fly around, spending time in mountains, caves, and other wild places. They could appear as ghosts or spirits when the world of the dead overlaps with our own. Ghosts and Japan are intimately intertwined, says Zach Davison, a scholar of Japanese folklore and author. He continues by saying, it is almost impossible to separate Japan from its yurei, or ghosts. There is a deep foundational belief that humans carry a god inside them, one that is released upon death and infused with supernatural power. If properly honored with the right rituals and care, the spirits will watch over and protect people from misfortune. But if not, or if the spirit has any lingering business, that's when it's said to manifest as a yurei in the afterlife. These beliefs may help us understand why Japan is so well known for all its paranormal phenomena. On this episode, I will be talking about two of those phenomena from Japan's Hokkaido region, the Round Schoolhouse and Okiku the Haunted Doll. In the northern reaches of Japan, you will find the nation's second largest island, Hokkaido. It is said to be the least developed of the four main islands. With harsh winters and moderate summers, its weather differs from most of Japan. Many lovers of the outdoors are attracted to Hokkaido due to the amount of national parks and undisturbed rural landscapes. With skiing and snowboarding in the winter, and amazing hiking and camping in the summer, it is easy to see why outdoor-loving tourists would flock to this area. The Round Schoolhouse In the rural town of Bibai, you can find a creepy ruin of a former schoolhouse, one that is unlike any you have ever seen, that has gained a reputation as one of the most haunted places in Japan. The school was originally built in 1906 and was named Banasawa Simple Education Center. The circular design, which earned its nickname the Round Schoolhouse, was not added until 1959 when the original wooden structure was rebuilt. Made of concrete, it consisted of two round structures measuring almost 30 meters in diameter. It had three floors, standing approximately 13 meters in height. It definitely stood out in the forest as it almost resembled an industrial building instead of a school. For unknown reasons, the school went through many name changes, 
finally settling on the name it's now known as, Numahagoshi Elementary School. In the beginning, attendance was low, but from 1940 to 1970, as the mine prospered, naturally, so did the number of students. At its peak, the school housed approximately 1,500 children. When the school officially closed its doors in 1974 due to unspecified causes, the general public would believe that it was due to a drop in attendance from the local mining village closure. Rumors claim that there was something more sinister at play. The building seems to have been left exactly as it was on the day it was abandoned, almost frozen in time. Desks, chairs and tables left to collect dust. The grounds of the property have become a tangle of overgrown brush and the playground is buried deep within forest growth. Any roads that lead to the school have long since grown over. It is said by those who have visited that the first floor is almost half underwater during the spring. The amount of snow in the winter makes it harder to reach, but easier to enter due to the water being frozen over. Currently, the only way to reach the school now is on foot. When trekking through the forest on the way there, don't be surprised to see abandoned cars along the road. These are rumored to be the cars of those who have ventured to the school but never returned. The first known report of paranormal activity at the school was an instance of a little girl who legend claims was spirited away right in front of her classmates during a recess break. At the time, Hokkaido was experiencing a series of kidnappings and missing persons cases. Searches for the missing girl turned up nothing from the police with neither the police nor the school being able to comprehend how the girl could have been abducted in such a brief period of time. The school closed its doors shortly after the incident. After the school's closure, more rumors began to spread of will-o'-wisp sightings, howls from within the ruins, and the ghosts of the missing girl roaming the school grounds with her red backpack. Others have claimed to hear laughter in the forest. Rumor says that a psychic once visited in hopes of connecting with the little girl. The negative energy surrounding the area was so intense that the psychic had to leave. Locals also claim that the surrounding woods are haunted by bobbing mysterious lights and half-glimpsed shadowy figures and as the night is often pierced by screams as well as other discernible noises. Others claim to experience a feeling of being watched, hearing voices and footsteps, and even attacks from the shadow figures that lurk in the woods. Additionally, there are rumors of several children who went to play in the woods, only to never be seen again. Naturally, it didn't take long for these rumors to be linked to the abandoned building. During the 70s and 80s, the round schoolhouse became a popular place to go ghost hunting. Visitors to the site would return with terrifying tales of all sorts of supernatural and paranormal experiences that took place in and around the property. 
paranormal investigators who have been there always seem to agree that this site deserves to be put in a top 10 list of Japan's most haunted places. Other than the earlier mentioned psychic, there have also been a number of Japanese spirit mediums who have also been so overwhelmed with the negative spiritual energy there that they refuse to ever go back. Darker rumors tell of people going off to explore the ruins only to disappear without a trace. Stories of abandoned cars found on the nearby road, their occupants said to have gone off towards a schoolhouse to never return. Perhaps worse yet are that some are said to have come back completely insane, driven to the brink of madness by whatever it was they had witnessed. These stories are featured heavily on Japanese paranormal sites and sometimes will include comments from the witnesses. In 1998, three curiosity seekers went off to investigate the ruin and seemed to get more than they bargained for. They parked their car and started their journey throughout the forest and its tangled trees towards the main building. Once they arrived at the main building, they were almost immediately overcome by a clinging, unsettling cold. They could sense that they were being watched from the shadows by something that seemed to creep along and follow them. Soon after their arrival, they experienced a series of escalating paranormal experiences doors being slammed shut, items being knocked over, and the startled shout of one of the group when he was physically shoved by some invisible entity. The longer they stayed, the more the intensity of these events increased, until they got to the point where they couldn't take it anymore and made their way back outside. As they did, a black form congealed out of the shadows and followed them. After leaving the area, they gave a witness statement that stated, That shadow stalked us all the way out of the building and into the woods. We couldn't see it much, as it was hiding, but we knew it was there. We could catch glimpses of it, and it made us pick up our pace. As we got closer to the car, it became more visible, tangible, and more threatening. We finally got into the car, and that was when something very black, large, and heavy slammed into us. It was as if a black bear had hit the car, but then it was gone, without a trace, and we were alone in the forest again. Another account seems to suggest that there is some sort of vortex or interdimensional doorway located somewhere within the round schoolhouse. This apparently happened as recently as 2000 and involves a couple of amateur paranormal investigators. They claim that they were drawn to this location by all of the mysterious tales and creepy stories they had heard over the years. Perhaps their biggest mistake was to come here in the evening, but whatever the reason, they certainly came across something unbelievable in that building. Even as they were making their way through the forest toward the schoolhouse, they started hearing strange sounds coming from the trees. Sounds like someone banging on a tree with a stick, someone snapping twigs, 
and what one of the witnesses swore was the sound of giggling. As they reached the building, disembodied footsteps seemed to echo out all around them. But when they reached one room, they came across a faintly glowing opening in the wall, which was bright and supposedly shimmered and rippled. Was this some sort of portal? Was it all an illusion? It does seem to fit into the idea that this is a site that harbors some sort of doorway through dimensions, and that all of this activity is not the result of a haunting, but rather a crossover of another realm into our reality. Their witness statement of the event states, We stared at this glowing patch upon the wall for several moments, and that was when something seemed to come out of it. It looked like a hunched-over figure, but it was impossible to see the face. Then there were others, coming out two at a time, until they were looming all around us in that dank, confined space. My friend and I looked at each other and ran. He says he looked back and the glowing was gone, but those shapes, they were everywhere. Okiku, the Haunted Doll As mentioned earlier, Japan is a very mystical and spiritual place. A place where the souls of the past seem to interact with the living. Shinto and Buddhist religions coexist in harmony in Japan. Both have many aspects in common, such as the importance of living being souls. This is why in Japan, when people die, they are still very important. Within the Shinto religion, there is a belief that each person harbors a kami, or divine spirit, that is bound and weakened inside the human body. When dying, this spirit regains its power and comes out of the deceased. The soul interacts in different ways with the world of the living. But unlike other countries, it needs someone to take care of it and cover its basic needs to survive drink, eating, and entertainment. Pediophobia, otherwise known as the fear of dolls, is quite common. Pop culture has done a great job turning the age-old children's toy into a potential vessel of evil. Just look at Chucky and Annabelle. And while our rational brain knows that dolls aren't going to come to life, it's completely understandable that we simultaneously feel uneasy by the blinking stare of their cold, lifeless eyes. Will they turn their heads the moment you look away? Will they appear at a random part in your home that they aren't supposed to be in? Will you wake up in the middle of the night to see one holding a knife to your throat? We tell ourselves, no, that's impossible, but many still prefer being in a well-lit room with an antique china doll collection. But when it comes to Okiku, an allegedly haunted Japanese doll, her former family and current caretakers have no doubt that she has taken on a life of her own. In 1918, a young man purchased a doll that would later on claim the name of Okiku as her own from his two-year-old sister, and the legend would kickstart a tourism flash. Japan, 
during this era was still stuck in the ways of feudalism. While the world around it was embracing the progress of technology and science, Japan was holding tight to its beliefs and rich mythology and fables. This was a land, and still is, by all accounts, where demons, ghosts, vampires, and other creatures roamed free. A land where goblins and evil spirits were constantly harassing normal people. On February 3rd, you drove evil spirits away by going to shrines and through rituals and folklore practices. Lake monsters gobbled kids up. Woods like Ahigahara, northwest of Mount Fiji, drove people insane and compelled them to suicide. Foxes were sacred and devoted animals. Japanese culture was, and still is, fraught with legends and supernatural creatures. And dolls. Some of them were powerful instruments of magic. The doll was bought in Sapporo by a 17-year-old Akichi Suzuki in 1918 for his two-year-old sister, Ukiku. In some versions of the legend, his sister's name is Kikiku. He was touring the region for a maritime exhibition, and the doll instantly caught his attention. The perfect little doll sat on a shop window, enticing him to enter. Suzuki didn't think twice. He went in and instantly purchased the doll for his sister, using the very last of his money to do so. Suzuki went back home and gave the doll to his little sister. She fell in love with the doll immediately. It transformed into Ukiku's favorite toy, and more importantly, her best friend. Ukiku played with the doll every day, took it everywhere, and treated it like a little sister. She would talk and prattle on with the thing, feed it, sleep with it. She eventually decided to call the doll Ukiku, a mirror image of herself. The doll never left Okiku's sight. At about 40 centimeters tall and dressed in a traditional kimono, the doll was exquisite. Its hair was raven black and cut to a roughly shoulder length in a traditional okapa hairstyle, like a bob. Her eyes were piercing coals that seemed to swallow everything up in their gaze. The doll was mesmerizing and enchanting, something that would take your breath away. Then a year later, when yellow fever had descended on the land, tragedy struck. In 1919, Okiku died, gasping for air, in pain, and afraid. The doll held firmly in her grasp. She was only three years old. The family wanted to bury the doll with Ukiku, but circumstances and governmental oversight prevented this very last act of kindness to their daughter. The doll was never laid to rest with Okiku. Okiku the doll was alternately located in the family's altar, a common practice in certain Japanese households to commemorate the dead. The small shrine celebrated their daughter and marked her passing into the afterlife. This is when the weird things started taking place. One day, the family started to notice that the doll's hair was growing longer, 
once a traditional shoulder-length cut with neat ends. It was now a mangled mess of split ends, reaching down past her waist. It was scruffy, different colors, and it just felt different. At night, they started to dream of Okiku, and sometimes the doll would be by their side when they awoke in the morning. The events began to intensify and grew into full-blown acts of spiritual infestation. Lights flickering on and off, banging is in the house, noises and strange voices. The closer the year got to certain key dates, like Okiku's birthday and the end of her death. Over time, they were certain, and town shamans and spiritual leaders concurred, that their daughter's soul was in fact trapped within the doll. In 1938, the family relocated to a different district. They had now become used to Okiku and had even grown fond of their daughter's restless spirit. To them, it was a magical and unique opportunity to interact with the dead. Not wanting to take Okiku with them, fearing that whatever fueled her magic was the proximity to their daughter's grave, the family approached the local temple and asked them to take care of the doll. The temple by now had heard countless stories of the haunted doll whose hair grew longer every year. They were fascinated with the prospect. The priests accepted and started taking care of Okiku. Over time, they have managed to confirm the veracity of some of the claims, particularly that the hair does indeed grow. Okiku's hair growth did not stop when she found a new home in Menenji Temple. Allegedly, her cropped hair grew nearly 10 inches all the way down to her knees during the beginning of her stay at the temple and continues to require trimming to stop it from growing out of control. The priest that cuts her hair was said to receive a message from Okiku in his dreams asking him to keep her hair trimmed. A Japanese paranormal book discussing Okiku claims that the temple refuses to allow the doll to be disassembled and analyzed, although some claim that samples of her hair have been sent for scientific analysis, proving that the hair was that of a human child after proper scientific examination. It is said that the doll stays happy and content. As the years passed on, Okiku's fame grew and her supernatural powers became stronger. She's bolder now, invading the dreams of the priests and those who come to visit her. She's stronger, her hair growing faster and wilder, and somehow she's even spookier. Another event that is driving tourists mad is the frightening claim that the mouth of Okiku is slowly opening. It is said that if you dare to peek inside, you may be able to glimpse something like baby teeth, sprouting like weeds from her porcelain gums. Okiku is located in her private shrine, on display in a little wooden box, in the Menenji Temple, in the town of Imazawa, Hokkaido, Japan. Okiku continues to intrigue and frighten visitors to her shrine, to this day with her personal twist on the forever creepy haunted doll trope. She is still there, 
waiting for all who want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the paranormal and bizarre, if you dare. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Nocturnal Mysteries podcast. I will be back in two weeks' time with a new episode for you. If you would like to keep up with the show, you can follow me on Instagram at Nocturnal Mysteries Pod, on TikTok at Nocturnal Mysteries, Twitter at Noct Mist Pod, or you can go to Facebook and join the group Nocturnal Mysteries Podcast Group. After the episode releases, I will post pictures of some of the things so you can get a visual of what I'm talking about and any other interesting tidbits I can dig up. If you have anything you'd like to hear me cover on the show, please don't hesitate to reach out on social media and let me know. Also, I'm honored to be part of Bad Secret Media with one of my personal favorite podcasts, The Secret Levels Podcast. You can go to badsecretmedia.com to find all the information on all the shows under the Bad Secret Media umbrella. If you would like to support the show, the best thing you can do is rate or review the show wherever you listen to it. This will help others find the show and share in the spooky with us. All episodes are researched and written by myself and edited by the man behind the mysteries, the show's executive producer, Toby Von Doom. The show would not be what it is without all the hard work he does with all of his editing magic. You can find him on social media at Toby Von Doom. Until next time, Darklings, stay curious, stay weird, stay kind, and before leaving the board, don't forget to always say goodbye.